Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say, your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today. At LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Daily Premier League action and reaction. This is Football Social Daily. Welcome to Football Social Daily, where Rom is gone. Lukaku is out of Stamford Bridge just 11 months after costing nearly 100 million quid. He's gone back to Inter Milan on a loan deal worth a measly 7 million. Just how bad has this transfer been for Chelsea? Could it be the worst signing in the Premier League of all time? We'll discuss that on today's show. Looks like Lukaku won't have the chance to be firing past Sam Johnston or Nick Pope next season. Two England internationals who are now championship players, but that looks set to change with Burnley's Pope looking to sign for Newcastle and Johnston joining Crystal Palace. We'll look at those deals as well as the latest when it comes to a new home for free agent Christian Eriksen and also a potential Leeds departure for Rafinha. Plus, there hasn't been many more exciting off-season periods for Nottingham Forest fans in the last 23 years. We'll get the lowdown on how Forest are feeling heading into their first Premier League season this century when we chat to Rich from the 1865 podcast later on in the show. Welcome to Football Social Daily, three days a week out of season, but still hit subscribe anyway, as when the 6th of August rolls around, it's back to daily shows for you. Nobody else does that. My name's Niall, and as Wimbledon begins in the tennis, I'm hoping I won't need to do too much umpiring today. As joining me, we've got two United fans, one of Leeds Persuasion, one Manchester, Ian Brannan and Jay Motti are here. Morning, gents. Yeah, good morning. Morning. Yeah, I'm hoping that there won't be too much uh, back and forth. <laughs> so arguments over Rafinha, Eriksen, it's all happening. Yeah, we see Le- Leeds have actually signed some players. <laughs> That's a surprise. Sounds like you're quite surprised at that. <laughs> yes. I imagine it would be surprised if you're a Manchester United fan as well, but maybe that day will come. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, you'll be hoping that United aren't guaranteed their six points a season this time around. <laughs> no, but well, yeah. The big news when it comes to transfers, though, is Romelu Lukaku. The Chelsea striker looks set to be heading back to Inter Milan in Serie A on loan for just £7 million. Chelsea paid £97.5 million for him 11 months ago. It's been ridiculous, this transfer saga. I'll come to you first, Jay. Is it the right decision that Chelsea have just said, listen, this hasn't worked, 11 months in, you've not been good enough, let's get rid of you. It's been crazy. I actually think it is. People look at that figure and go, you're taking a £93 million loss on, on a player or whatever it is. That's that's ridiculous. And also, you, the thing with Lukaku is you look on, on paper, his record, his goal-scoring record, and it wasn't great last season, but he does score goals. But I think when you've watched him for Chelsea, when you see the way... He's been and, and the, the sort of the record there he had last season, it hasn't worked out. And there's also this sort of issue, if you can call it that, of when you've got a player like Lukaku in your squad who costs you a lot of money, do you have to play him? Do you feel like you've got to use him when it might be beneficial to not use him, to not have him around? He's never really seemed happy there. I don't know if that affects the dressing room. He was making noises almost as soon as he arrived that he wanted to go back to Inter Milan which I can't imagine went down too well with the Chelsea fans. So I just think it's best for all concerned to just move on. And I know from my experiences of Lukaku at United, the, the thing with Romelu Lukaku when we had him was, on paper, you look at it and you go, 
I can almost remember his record. I think it was 42 goals in 96 games. Which looks which, like a decent record, doesn't it? But yeah, when you look at yeah. who he scored against. Yeah, when you look at it, you go, okay, that was his that was his record at United. That's great. But then you go, I remember it. He sort of scored nine in his first 10 games or whatever. Then didn't score again for 10 games or one in his next 10. Didn't yeah. score against the big six. Had pretty awful games in some of the bigger games. I remember we played City in the derby and he was at fault for both City goals because he came from a corner and he more or less set them up. So (laughs) when you scratch beneath the surface, you see a player that's not quite done it in the Premier League last time he was at United and certainly hasn't done it with Chelsea. He was flying it in. uh, He seems like he's happy, he feels loved, all that sort of thing that can help a player. So I just think Chelsea are probably better off just walking away because if they were to say, okay, no, we're going to keep him or we're going to play hardball for more money, you may end up with an even more disgruntled Romelu Lukaku and a changing room that's looking around going, why is he still here when he doesn't want to be here? Why is he getting game time? Yeah, I think you're right when it comes to the noises that were being made because he did that interview with Sky Italia, didn't he, in December? And it was almost like, wow, you've pretty much put a nail in your own coffin there just after you've signed, like four months after you'd already signed a £100 million deal to join Chelsea. It's been it's been strange. The whole thing's been strange. I mean, lots of people are saying that it's one of the worst transfers of modern times. What about you, Ian? Do you think it's one of the worst Premier League transfers of all time when you factor in how much expectation there was, how much Chelsea paid for him and what he's actually delivered. You see, I always had down the time that Leeds United signed Thomas Brolin as, as being probably one of the worst <laughs> top-level signings. But actually, when you consider the amount of money invested, £97.5 million Chelsea paid for him um, only last year. And then within three months, he's pleading with the owners of Inter to take him back and how it was all a mistake and oh it was like some sort of lover who's made a, a bad choice and gone off with some girl that didn't turn out to be not exactly what he thought she was and uh, you know it was it was December when he was having this this meltdown on Sky Italia where he was saying you know it was all a bit of a mistake and he wanted to go back there and Conte's a wonderful guy and oh you know it, he's obviously made a, a huge a huge error Somebody somewhere said, look, it'd be great to go to Chelsea. He's gone to Chelsea. And then he's remembered, actually, I don't like Chelsea. Um, and it took him actually till actually being there to remind him. He's just screwed up. That's what it is. He wants to go back. He's messed up. Um, but it just sounds like an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it just sounds like... But it gets back to Inter. What then? He wanted out of Inter. He wanted to go to Chelsea. It was the same speech. It was the same, you know, oh, Chelsea, I want to come back to Chelsea. It's a wonderful place. It's a place I love and, 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 you know, I feel at home there. Gets there. Oh, actually, no, Inter's the place I feel at home at. My God, what a nightmare. And you've got to manage him. You know, whoever's, whoever's in charge of these teams has to manage Lukaku. This is the sort of thing that's going on in the dressing room day in, day out. He sounds like a nightmare. He's got huge price tags on him. He just sounds like a nightmare. And he doesn't deliver the goods. Sometimes, and and it goes for any walk of life, any workplace, some people might be hard work, right? There might be a drain on your resources, but you know what? They do the job and you accept it and move on. He scores less than half a goal a game, according to his stats, over time. That's what's what you can expect. And that's how it, you know, yeah, yeah, he has these rich veins of form, Last season, he played 16 games but scored eight in the league. Uh, His stats sort of do all right, but I just think the Premier League's not for him. I think it's too hard. I think it's probably too cold for him. Uh, I, <laughs> he is I've from said, Belgium. He's, he's, yeah, I know, it's not that I know, but, but he's, used to, he's used to living it up in, in Milan. You know, look at sure. Milan. He scored 47 goals on 65 appearances for mm. Inter. He gets yeah. to, to, to this country and he's, he's struggling a bit. I saw him, I mean... I, saw, I last saw him in person when he was playing for Everton against Sunderland at the Stadium of Light. And this was like a game that Everton, I think, needed, both teams needed to win. Sunderland did win it. It was when Sam Allardyce took his shirt off. And we all remember where we were when that happened. And um, <laughs> and yeah, he was just stood there with his hands on his hips. It was just before he started, went to, to Man United, I think. Yeah, it was just before that. And he, was, he just looked not interested. Mm. Not interested at all. And I think the lifestyle... Uh, for Lukaku comes before football. That's what he's interested in. Well, I'm not sure really in terms of whether he's not good enough for the Premier League. I'm not sure whether that's fair. But in the last, I'm not saying he's of... good enough. I just don't think he's cut out for it. Yeah, I that's... think it's not it, not his type of football, and and, yeah. and it's not showbiz enough for him. He likes living it up with his shades on on the coast of Sorrento or wherever. 
Well, I mean, Manchester United, Jay says his goal record was decent, but actually it was kind of the way he scored the goals and who he scored the goals against. And for Everton, obviously, he scored a load of goals. He's got over 100 Premier League goals in his career. Um, so there's no doubt there's a player in there. But if you look, Jay, over the course of his career, someone did a tweet earlier on which claimed that he's cost £330 million worth of transfer fees in his entire career, which is the most fees accumulated by any one player in the history of the game. So there's clearly potential and talent there. Why is it that in the last X amount of years when he has played in the Premier League, it's just not worked? Is there any any reason for that? Maybe the suit... Uh, the Italian league just suits him better. Yeah, definitely. I think like he was saying, I don't think this necessarily Romelu Lukaku is a bad player. You don't no. score over 100 Premier League goals, 68 or whatever it is, international goals, if you're not good at win, you know, trophies, whatever, within, uh, if you're not good at football. It's just, for me, Romelu Lukaku has got limitations. He yeah. can score goals. He can He can bully lesser teams very well. He can do that, especially on the international front. But when you, it's always that thing when you scratch beneath the surface of Romelu Lukaku, when you watch him, especially in some, against some of the, the better defenders, he struggles. And when you try and play football a certain way, when you're trying to get him to hold up the ball for you and bring players in around him, he's, he's not very good at that. That's not his forte. What he, he can do is he can get you goals and he can get you goals against certain teams and to a certain level. He did it at Everton. He did it when he was on loan at West Brom. He's done it... For, um, for Belgium, he's done it at Inter. But when he's been asked to step up, when he's been asked to be that player who can lead you to a title challenge, when Manchester United bought him in, he wasn't bought in to help us retain top six. He was bought in to help us push forward for a title challenge. Yeah. And bought him in Nemanja Matic in at the same time. We just won, I think, the Europa League and the League Cup. And it was like, okay, the next stage now is a title challenge. And he was found wanting. When Chelsea brought him in, I think Chelsea were top when they brought him in. They were flying. And it's Tuchel's just won the Champions League. You're buying in, bringing in Romelu Lukaku. He's got all these Premier League goals. He's got this experience. He's been to Inter and won the league. Uh, sorry, Serie A with Inter. This is his time to to shine and and put some of those demons that he had at Stamford Bridge to rest. And it just didn't happen. And I think that's the problem when you look at him as you say, you know, on paper you look at those stats and you go, okay, as as Ian has said, as you Celsa said, you know, one in two isn't terrible. It's a decent return. But then when you look at it, go, what's his record like against the big teams? What's his record like against the team when you're in a title six-pointer? It's woeful. He's not that guy. And that's why maybe going to somewhere like Inter where he gets the, the, the sort of the team is built around him, he feels loved, it's the style of football. There's that little slight for me in Italian football, only ever so slightly, but it matters, drop off in pace. It's not quite as quick as the Premier League. We've seen players like... Alexis Sanchez, just sorry to keep going about United, but I'm speaking from experience of watching him. Alexis Sanchez, Ashley Young, Chris Smalling, struggle at United towards the end of the time there, or in Alexis Sanchez's case, all his time there, <laughs> and then go to Italy and shine. Yeah. Absolutely shine. And you think. Yeah, Smalling's well, been classed for Roma. Yeah, it's a great. You think, a minute, where was this guy mm. when I was watching him at United for the last year or so? And I think it is just that the pace isn't quite as quick. I think that suits Romelu Lukaku. I think he's one of those players that maybe perhaps he does need a bit of an arm around him sometimes. Maybe he does need someone to massage his ego a bit and make him feel a bit loved. And if he ain't getting that and he wasn't getting it at United, he, weren't getting it, he wasn't getting it at Chelsea and you can argue it's his own fault, but he wasn't getting it. Maybe if he goes back to Inter and he's feeling that love, he can you know, he can get back amongst the goals in a way that he was last time he was, he was there. Do you think though, Jay, that the fact that Chelsea have let him go for a 7 million loan fee and taken a 90 million loss on him in 11 months. Do you think that that shows just how far things have gone wrong? And, you know, it's his third or fourth bite of the Premier League. You know, he's played for Everton, Chelsea before he didn't play any games, but he was on loan at West Brom and did well there, played for your club, Manchester United, and he's come back to Chelsea. Do you think we'll see him in the Premier League again? Or do you think that that's it? Do you think that he's his time is done in England and now because of what's happened here at Chelsea, no one's going to go near him for a, for a good long while? Possibly. I think certainly top-level clubs. I think any any top-level club will look at him and how old is he now? He's 20... Is he 29? Nine, I think, yeah. 29. So if he goes to early for a year, you know, obviously he comes back, he's going to be into his 30s. Are, are one of the top clubs going to go, oh, this this could be it now for Romelu Lukaku? Even if he shines it in there, I think people will look at it and go, okay, we've been here before. He could still come back to the Premier League. You never say never. You look at his record at Everton, for example... You know, his last Premier mm. League season at Everton, I think he scored 25 goals. So you can't ignore that. 
and that, especially in a team uh, uh, like Everton who weren't challenging for the title. But I just feel if you if you've got title winning aspirations, if you're looking at the very top level clubs, the likes of your Liverpool's, your Chelsea's, your Manchester City's, and even the you know the next rung of of, of Spurs, of United, of, of of Arsenal, perhaps. I don't see them coming in for him. I don't. I think wages is going to be on yeah. big money. I think fee is still going to you know command some sort of fee. And I think his reputation now of being in the Premier League is he has got a ceiling, and it's probably just outside the top four. Talking of wages and fees, Ian, this isn't the first transfer and won't be the last Premier League transfer to be an absolute unmitigated flop. And with those wages and fees going up all the time, we see that every season players are on even more every time a January rolls around or a new contract is signed, that fees, those fees and those wages seem to keep creeping up. Do you think that with that in mind, it'll be difficult for clubs to get value for money soon with the way things are going? Well, it it already is, isn't it? I mean, the, the top players now are frequently over the, the £80 million mark and, and more. Um, we've already seen it over the, the £100 million. And, um, you know, the, the, the value in, the, the money in the game is is, is only going up. With with the sorts of owners that we've got now, who have got bottomless pockets, and so to to really prize the real assets out of the the clutches of many clubs, some people are just seriously rich, and so that increases the value. and And we saw it with Chelsea. You know, Chelsea were really the first team in this country going way back who had a a billionaire owner who started splashing ridiculous cash. You know, when Abramovich first took over, he yeah. was doing it, and it has driven the value up because then. You know, Leeds United um, broke the record for a transfer fee for um, Rio Ferdinand, didn't they? That was £18 million back in, what, 2001? Mm. I remember being quite young when that yeah. happened, and that was quite a big deal. It was, then, it was massive. It? You know, for it to be that expensive. I mean, that, that was the start of Leeds United's downfall in many ways because they, they, they got this massive loan and spaffed it all on players. I mean, Rio Ferdinand was probably a good example, but then they, they spent some like ridiculous money on people like Seth Johnson and so on. And actually, they, they got the loan out essentially to, to improve the stadium and then spent it on players and the, the players' values went down and so did everything else. So, you know, we've seen people trying to, to keep up and, and spending on the credit card effect, essentially to to keep up with what's going on at the top level. But you've got people now who've just got so much money, it's hard to comprehend. And I know we're going to get on to Newcastle mm-hmm. shortly, but, you know, the, the amounts of the pots of money, it's almost irrelevant what their fee is because the people who are dealing with these figures have got, they're increasingly have got bottomless pits of it. So it, it, we look at it and go, wow, that's a lot of money. But these people are just pumping money out of the ground, literally in some respects with oil and whatever, and saying, well, you know, here's here it is. Um, yeah. Do you know what I think is interesting as well is I kind of sympathise with players to an extent because they can't choose their transfer fee. You know, Romelu Lukaku no. didn't choose to be sold for £97 million, But whether it's your choice or your fault or not, you kind of need to be able to deal with the pressure. And naturally that pressure will increase with the price tag you have. I mean, we saw it with Paul Pogba at Manchester United for years, where when he wasn't playing well, everyone would say, oh, he cost the club this much. And we're seeing it with Maguire now. You know, it's almost like he cost the club this much. And, you know, it's not the player's fault that they're worth that fee, but you do kind of subconsciously have to live up to that value, even if it's not your almost responsibility to set that fee in the first place. It's just kind of part of the territory. And so I think that we will see more transfer flops because, you know, how can uh, Neymar sign for a club for 230 something million or whatever it was and Coutinho for 140 and, and, and not be a flop? You know, it's, it's just staggering amounts of money. And uh, I think we'll see that more in the future. We're not done talking about chances, though. That's it for Lukaku. He's on his way to Inter Milan after leaving Chelsea on a £7 million loan deal. We're actually going to talk about goalkeepers next because there are two England international goalkeepers playing in the Championship that are going to be moving back to the Premier League. We'll do it after this on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. 
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Football's Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Welcome back. Time for some transfer talk on Football Social Daily. I've got Jay and Ian alongside me and we're going to begin with Newcastle United who are in talks with Burnley who of course have just been relegated back to the Championship after a few years in the Premier League and their goalkeeper Nick Pope who is allegedly on his way to St James's Park. This deal potentially costing £10 million. He's a player, Nick Pope, who's got loads of Premier League experience, Jay. He's a very good shot stopper. Seems to keep Burnley in games a lot of the time from my memory. Are these are the sorts of signings Newcastle should be going for, the more shrewd signings with a bit of experience? Yeah, I mean, I think that some people sort of scoffed at Newcastle slightly, didn't they, last season, when they were going about their transfer business and some of the players they bought in, I think it was it the, the lad Wood from uh, Burnley and uh, yeah. Dan Byrne as well. People went, oh, Dan Byrne, okay. But those are signings that sort of helped them move back yeah. on the table. Get Byrne's away. been excellent. Byrne, especially, yeah. I don't think there was quite as much disdain for Byrne, but he's been a very, very good <laughs> signing for them. And I think yeah. Pope is a good player. £10 million to Newcastle, he's pennies, really, isn't mm. it? And I think yeah. that's probably a pretty accurate valuation. I think £10 million for a, a goalkeeper who's had, what is it, five or six seasons in the Premier League. I don't think you can point the finger at him for, for Burnley's problems. He's been one of their better players, obviously, in England international as well. So, no, I think this makes a lot of sense. And I think these sorts of signings are the right ones in terms of moving the club forward and that stepping stone towards... When you are, I mean, ultimately, I think we'll be in a situation sooner or later where Newcastle are challenging for the Premier League title. I do. I think the amount of money they've got, and people may laugh at that, but I laughed when City got all their money as a United fan. I was like, this will end in tears. It's Manchester City. It always does. And, you know, the noisy neighbours became noisier than ever. I think Newcastle eventually, because of the amounts of, of cash they got, they've, they've got, and the reason that these owners have got involved is ultimately to, 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 to you know, whatever you want to call it, whether you want to call it sports fishing, whatever you want to call it, promoting their brand or whatever, they want success. They don't want to do it just to see Newcastle survive in the Premier League. They want to see them flourish and win things. So eventually you'll see Newcastle at the top, but I think until they get there, they have to make these kind of signings, these sort of experienced, quality Premier League players who don't, you know, aren't necessarily going to be title-winning players, but are players who can help you get towards the top four. And I think Nick Pope is one of them. I think he's a good player, 30 years old as well in goalkeeper terms. He's not that old, really. He's got, you know, at least a few more years left in him. So, yeah, I think it, it makes a lot of sense. And I think Newcastle's transfer business, to be fair to them, has made a lot of sense. The likes of Byrne, likes of Ward, um, uh, other players they brought in as well, the, the, is it Bruno Gamares and uh, Trippi as well. They've all been decent signings who've made sense. And it's not always easy when you get a load of money, especially when you're struggling to do that. And, you know, it pains me to say it because it looks like there's another team that are in there that are going to be eventually above Manchester United. Well, do you know what's strange? It doesn't feel like Newcastle are going to be going for the, like the Rubinho-style signings. Remember when Manchester City signed Rubinho and that was kind of a bolt out of the blue. Everyone knew they had money and they had some half-decent players, but the Rubinho one was strange because they pipped Chelsea to his signing, um, which, was, which was unusual at the time because Chelsea seemed to always get everyone they wanted. I don't feel like we're going to see Newcastle signing massive name players um, out of the blue. I feel like it's probably going to be more like these sorts of players, Nick Pope. And as you say, Jay, I think 10 million to Newcastle is is pocket change, really. And 10 million today is the 2 million of five, six years ago for a player. So I think it's it's probably quite an astute signing. Gives them some competition for Dubravka between the sticks. But with Newcastle's transfer policy in general, Ian, how are they going to play the transfer market in these first few windows under Eddie Howe since the Saudi takeover? Because everyone knows, as Jay says, they've got so much money. So clubs, understandably, who are selling players to them will try and exploit that. It's It's a tricky situation, isn't it? And maybe they need to make sure they're going for these bargains where they can because uh, they know, I mean, Burnley, for example, are in a situation now they've been relegated and they're looking to offload a few. And so really Newcastle presents a very 
you know, um, nice looking opportunity for for both uh, Burnley because they're going to get a decent amount of money, but also for Nick Pope because he's heading to a to a you know a bigger club and and actually some players there, obviously Chris Wood and one or two others who who have got connections with with Burnley too. So you can see the link forming. Uh, they they're they're not going to go well in these you know big auctions where the big players come up that that Barcelona or Real Madrid or Juventus or whoever are going to be interested in because they know that that price is just going to go up and up and up and I know we're going to talk about Rafinha and Leeds in a, in a moment but I think we've seen an element of of that happening with that transfer where the big clubs get involved and all of a sudden that takes you into another level of of bargaining when you've got Barcelona or PSG or someone like that who's who's in the 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 price then le- goes into another sphere doesn't it you know you're getting into the 80 90 millions then all of a sudden and you know that they can afford it maybe not barcelona but that's another story so with uh, them having the backing of the the saudi public investment fund and i'm very uh, at pains to mention it because this is not money you know this money that gets quoted by the Newcastle fans and when they're doing these comparisons and pie charts of how much money they've got versus the rest of the Premier League, that isn't the case, right? That is the money that's put aside for many, many investments. Newcastle actually is just the sports car for the weekend. When you look at the other stuff that they've invested in... Well, they've got this golf tour, haven't they? I don't know if well, you've been keeping an eye yeah, on that, but exactly. you know, this, this kind of rival golf series, which is worth 250 million US dollars. So exactly. you've got loads of golfers jumping ship from the PGA Tour to this new live golf thing that they've been doing. So that's mm. backed by the Saudi Arabian PIF, the same... And- yeah. The same fund that we think, you know, the Premier League couldn't prove that Newcastle was funded by the Saudi Arabian state. But I think we all we, well, we, we, we all know that they are. But, but by the letter, no, it's not funded by the states, but the state might have put the money in the box that's that's yeah. at the side here that they, they're dipping from. You know, yeah. 300 million they paid for Newcastle sounds a lot. But when you look at the stuff that they're spending money on elsewhere, you know, they, they spent 3.5 billion on Uber for a 5% stake. You know, so they're getting these small stakes, and they, they spent more on Facebook than Newcastle United. There's, there's so many things in our lives that they that this public investment fund is in, in invested in. Live Nation, who put the concerts on, when you go to the arenas and stuff, they own a, a, a proportion of that. So they've got five percent here, five percent there. They they spent double the amount on Disney than they did on Newcastle United. So don't get excited thinking that all this money is coming to you. They're investing their money in many, many different pies. Yes, they've got a lot of money, but it's not the, you know, trillions and gazillions that that you think. So I think they're probably they're probably in in a similar ballpark, don't get me wrong, sim- similar ballpark of the likes of Man City and and so on. But it's not bottomless pit. Um but that said, you know they they can't be going round getting screwed all the time, and it's the same yeah. with Man City. You know, Man City are not are not spending ridiculous money on everybody all the time, because ultimately it is an investment, and they mm. want to see money coming back in, not money going out. So yeah, I mean, well, it's, it it's got to be managed how like rich a business. You are. No one likes yeah. being ripped off. Do they? Well, it's got to be it's got to be managed <laughs> like a business, hasn't it? They they want to make a return. They want to get richer. They're not investing in Newcastle United to. to to sort of offload all this money that they seem to have and thinking, oh, we've got this big massive well of cash. We need to spend it some way. Newcastle United, that'll, that'll get rid of a few trillion. That's fine. Yeah. It's not going to mm. work like that. They, they want to invest. They want to win the Premier League or get in the Champions League to get access to the money that comes with it. That's the game. Yeah, well, I mean, well, Nick Pope for 10 million, I don't think it's going to be too much of a problem for them, but certainly in future windows, it's be it will be interesting to see how Newcastle approach buying and selling players in the transfer market in general. We're going to move from one England international goalkeeper to another now and West Bromwich Albion's Sam Johnston looks like he's going to join Crystal Palace from West Brom. Might even be announced already by the time you listen to this episode of the show. Do you think he proved during his time with West Brom in the top flight a couple of seasons ago, Jay? And of course you would have seen him when he came through at Manchester United, that he's good enough to be a, a regular Premier League goalkeeper. Um, yeah, I mean, he did, he did relatively well, didn't he, at West Brom? I think that there's, there is an element for me of maybe the joy's out a little bit. I'm not a West Brom fan. They know more, what more about him than, than I do. I know obviously he's signed at Manchester United, but we're going back about 11 yeah, years, way. I think, when he was at, was at the club. Um, <laughs> but from what I saw of him, he did he did well at West Brom. He looked like he was he, he did okay. So 
I think he is. I think probably you could argue, yeah, he's proven he's, he's Premier League class. It's just how good is he in the in the Premier League? Where does he rank amongst the rest of the Premier League goalkeepers? And I think this would probably be his chance to to maybe prove that a little bit because yes, okay, he did okay at West Brom, but you know ultimately they weren't successful. They went back into the Championship. Maybe at Crystal Palace with what's going on there, especially when you look at the um, the the sort of the, the football they've been playing and the the the, the buzz around the, the place under um, Patrick Vieira, it does feel like a club that. He's going places, and then you know a few years ago I wouldn't have been saying that about Crystal Palace. No disrespect to them, but it just felt like the only mm. sort of ambition they had treading was, water. Yeah, yeah, was survival, and you know Roy Hodgson was was sort of like seemed like a good manager, <laughs> a good fit for them. He was getting on a bit, but you know he was a safe pair of hands to keep them in the Premier League. Now you look at the football they're playing, some of the young players they've got who are getting international experience and recognition as well. A young manager in Patrick Vieira, young, you know, in, in terms of managerial years anyway, who, who's come in and got them playing a style of football that many thought was beyond them. So, yeah, I think Sam Johnson going there, if he can show him what he's about, then that'll be a chance for him to not only join an exciting club that's moving forward, but perhaps put some of those question marks to bed over whether he was quite good enough and whether he, you know, he played his part in West Brom not being able to cut it in the Premier League. What do you think about Vieira in general then, Jay? Because he was in the running for manager of the season, which I thought was quite interesting because Palace finished where they always finish, which was sort of lower mid-table, bottom half, the same as where they used to finish under Roy Hodgson, but the fans are much happier and they play much better football under Vieira. Loads of people had Palace to go down when he arrived in the summer, so maybe that's why he was in the running. But I think it's sort of hard to tell maybe the jury's still out some of their signings have been decent others are yet to prove themselves do you think that Vieira will be given a similar sort of judgment this upcoming season or because of the way things have gone for him in the last campaign people might be expecting a little bit more from him and his team yeah I think sometimes it's it's that whole thing about the style of football you play and the, the, the plays you've got and, and how the fans just warm to you we saw it with Steve Bruce didn't we at Newcastle I know we were talking about Newcastle earlier but when Steve Bruce is at Newcastle and they were finishing almost the same as where they finished under Rafa Benitez. The feeling was completely different. It wasn't like under Benitez, it was like, oh, look at what he's done. This is amazing. This guy's a genius. Under Bruce, it was like, oh, he's, he's flutes it and this is awful. Um, whereas with Vieira, that does feel like there's a real sense of positivity. Yeah, you're right. I think once you start doing well, you do raise the bar, you do raise expectations. People will look at Crystal Palace now and think that, just surviving isn't isn't enough. They finished twelve. Can they build on that? They've got some good young players. They've got a, a good young manager as well, and it's 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 good as well to see Vieira. I'm not obviously I wasn't a big Vieira fan when he was a player <laughs> because of the you know the, the the sort of battles and literal battles United had with him um, when he was at Arsenal. But it is good. You don't have you know there's not enough black managers as well, and it's good to see a, a black manager doing well, being successful, and and playing good football and. You know, I I like to see him continue that. I think it's good for football as well. So hopefully he can do. But I think, yep, you're right. There will be more sort of people looking at Palace and not and also not just fans and, and pundits and stuff, but teams. You would have gone into a Crystal Palace game a couple of years ago and thought, oh, you know what, this you know this is a team that's not really going anywhere. We can have our you know our own way against them. After last season, where more people are giving them respect, more people are noticing what they're doing, more people are praising some of the players. They're going to be up against it as well because teams are going to sit up and take notice of that. Yeah, I certainly agree with what you say about managers kind of um, having different perceptions depending on on how they're received by supporters and the players. I mean, Graham Potter's another example. Brighton sat Chris Hewton, um when they were just above the relegation zone. Potter came in the first two seasons, finished in almost the exact same spot. And now this season, after three terms or two terms at Brighton, he's, he's kind of got them into their highest ever league position. So I certainly agree with what you're saying there. Uh, let's talk about Leeds United then. Talking of players, you mentioned it earlier. Your team, Ian. Uh, rumours that Calvin Phillips could be on his way out. Rumours that Rodrigo could maybe leave. Rafinha, though, seems to be the one that is in the press the most. Arsenal have allegedly submitted a bid, according to some reports on the back pages today. But another newspaper report I read said that Rafinha actually wants to go to Chelsea instead. Regardless, are you as a Leeds fan and the club in general resigned to losing him this summer? Or do you think there's hope that he might stay? Um, Well, I I think there's more chance of Calvin Phillips staying than there is Rafinha. Um, I think Rafinha has made no secret of the fact that he, he wants to be off somewhere else. And certainly... His agent, uh, who is Deco, I understand, is uh, has, has been touting him around probably since the middle of last season anyway. Apparently he's agreed personal terms with Barcelona, 
which is great, but um, he <laughs> haven't actually received any any word from Barcelona themselves to Leeds United or indeed any offer. Um, Arsenal have put a bid in, uh, apparently, and uh, it's not enough for Leeds. You see, the, the thing here is that um, the, the prices that are being tabled for Rafinha seem to be around the 40, 45 million euro mark at the moment, which is, is not a figure that Leeds are going to go for. Leeds are looking for more like 65, 70 million for him um, and, and paid straight away, not, not like in instalments. I think Barcelona were, were, were up for doing that, but it was going to be paid. Is he bit. worth that? Is he worth that to yes, Leeds he is. rather than what he's worth as yeah, a player? Yeah, he is because we, you know, he kept them up last season in no small part. He's the, if it wasn't for him, Leeds would be down, definitely. Um, so yes, in terms of the value he brings to Leeds United, he is worth more because staying in the Premier League is worth more than 70 million quid. So he's under contract to Leeds. Leeds don't have to sell. He might be unhappy about that if, if the deal can't be done, but there has to be a value. It's not like big clubs come along and wave a bit of money in front of your face and therefore you must sell. You know, he's Leeds' asset. Leeds found him in, in the French leagues. They paid, what, 15 million quid for him? Um, and, he, you know, yeah, his value has shot up. But as it stands, yeah, he is a great player. He's in the Brazil national side. He will be <clears throat> he will be a starter probably for Brazil in the World Cup. He has been a starter for Brazil alongside, um, you know, the other star names that they've got. And <laughs> when you consider the, the names that Brazil have got, it's it's not an easy team to to get into. So, yeah, uh, I think he, he could well go. It's going to take a lot now. This is how important staying up was on that final day of the season. You know, that goal that went in that confirmed Leeds stayed up at, at Brentford. If Leeds had gone down, the clause in his contract was that it, 25 million quid and, and that was him gone. You know, that was the release clause. Now there is no release clause in his contract. So Leeds can hang out for, for as much as, as, as they like, really. Um, and, you know, they have got a price and I'm sure it's something like 65, 70 million quid is the area they're looking for. Uh, if you want him, that's what you got to pay, and and pay it now as well. Because as I say, lots of clubs want to do it in instalments or pay you a bit in three years or whatever, or, or link it to success. But no, uh, and I think fair play to Leeds because Leeds have been screwed in the past by you know various other uh, parties, and and I think it's 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 good that finally we've got an owner at Leeds who's not going oh this twenty five million pounds it sounds a lot. Remember that time that Leeds sold Eric Cantona for a million quid. What a deal! Um, so you know that that you know that kind of thing, that kind of thing where Leeds have been like, "What?" And now we've got an owner at least who actually is demanding the right price. And the same for Calvin Phillips. And this is the thing, you know. So many idiots online will go, "Oh, he, you know, he, he, if you have a good player in your side, it seems like you can't have a good player in your team if you're not Liverpool, Man United, Arsenal, Chelsea." You know, it's like, well. Oh, he's going to be going to Liverpool because he's a good player, and Liverpool are going to can afford him. But it, it, just because it's like a few million quid, you've got to pay what they what they're worth. These players are contracted to a certain club, whoever they are, and and it's only right that they get the right fee for him. So, yeah, I think he will end up going. He, he's already agreed personal terms with Barcelona. Barcelona can't afford him. It does present an opportunity to other teams now to come in. I think it will maybe drag on a little bit, which is not ideal for Leeds, but I think Do you Leeds think Leeds would rather sell to Barcelona, do. Ian? Just because they're not a Premier League uh, club. And, and I know you're not directly rivals yeah. to Arsenal or Chelsea or whoever else you might be linked with in the top flight, but it's always going to be yeah. weakening you and strengthening another team in your league. So I suppose they'd rather, if they were going to sell him, let him go somewhere where he's not going to do any damage other other clubs have done that to Leeds certainly and certainly Arsenal being one of them so I think particularly if we're going to I think Arsenal would be a, a sore one to to sell to really uh, because they've re- refused to negotiate over players coming the other way um, other than on loan like in Ketia I think Leeds trying to get in in to sign him and then all of a sudden they offered him a big massive contract to, to sort of push his price up for if Leeds did want to come back for him so maybe there's something there but um Leeds are prepared for it, I think. They have signed other players already, not as replacements. Um, from what I've read, if if Rafinha does go for a, a huge wedge of cash, that money will be used to buy a few players rather than 
immediately then invest that 70 million or whatever it is on one person um so yeah they will strengthen i'm sure they've got a plan um i say they've brought a couple of players in already uh, it's just a case of knowing who is going to be there really as you approach the pre-season time in the next few weeks or so it'll be good to know for sure what we've got to play with um calvin phillips again another one who's uh rumored to be going to to man city maybe there's more in this because He's just changed his agent. Why would he change your agent if you weren't moving anywhere? Um, so, uh, but then again, with the World Cup coming up, you know, how much game time is he going to get in that team? You know, he's a good player. But as we've seen with um, with Grealish, you know, opportunities can be limited. And even if you're playing in every game, you might not be playing all of it. And I don't know. Is he is he best off being like, say, the captain of Leeds and playing from the start every week? And really making a name for himself as as we head towards the World Cup, even for for another season, um, to keep himself in the frame for for being an England regular again, as he was a year or so ago, or is he better moving to Man City and then being a bit part? But yeah, you're part of Man City, and you know you maybe become an automatic choice on that. I don't know. It's 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 an interesting dilemma. Yeah, I think it's interesting to see how Jesse Marsh approaches this as well, seeing as you know he kind of comes from the the Red Bull stable of clubs as a coach. He had plenty of success at Salzburg, didn't have so much success at Leipzig, of course. But yeah. you know, he's someone who certainly has an eye for a player and knows the style in which he wants to play. So whether that will impact Leeds in their transfer dealings, we're not so sure, but we'll wait and see. Uh, one player who certainly is on a few people's lips and on a few people's radar, particularly Manchester United, is Christian Eriksen, who of course played a, a short six-month contract at Brentford last season. He's not re-signed Uh, in West London so he is a free agent and the reports say that Manchester United are hopeful of signing him Jay are you sick of talking about this are you just waiting for him to put pen to paper Um, because it seems like much like De Jong there's been a lot of talk about Ericsson possibly heading to Old Trafford yeah I mean it's just all we have here United at the minute we're interested in we're monitoring and we're we're tracking players we're we're, you know we're we're, we're in talks (laughs) we're we're, we're preparing a bid all that sort of language. It doesn't seem like there's much happening in terms of... Well, there isn't much happening in terms of signings. I mean, I like Christian Eriksen. I think he's a good player. I think he, what he did at, at Brentford, I think certainly from my own point of view, surprised me a little bit because I thought, is it going to work out for him coming back to the Premier League? Especially after what happened at the Euros. But he, he did very well indeed. I think he played 11 games for him and they won seven of them, which is, you know, it's great form. It's much better form than Manchester United had towards the end of last season anyway. So... He'd be a good player for Manchester United. I think it's someone who come in and can perhaps rotate. He wouldn't yeah. be the the priority signing for for us. I wouldn't think. You know, would he would he be a squad player? Do you think then? I I personally think he would be. I, I think he, he's likely to maybe come in for perhaps Bruno Fernandez if Bruno if we you know the games are uh, building up. Bruno Fernandez can sort of get fatigued. He can let sort of he has been overused a little bit. I think over the last couple of seasons and towards the end of the season. His form at times has deserted him. And I think you've got someone like Ericsson coming in, that would help. But listen, you never know. He could come in, he could shine, and he could end up getting a, a, a place in the team. I do think he'd be a squad player, but he'd be a valuable one. And with the Europa League, with the amount of games we've got, with the facts as well, we want to try and win some trophies. We want to try and win something. Then you need players like Ericsson. You can't just have a, you know, a squad of 13, 14 players anymore. You need more than that. And that's where United have struggled a little bit in the past. When we have lost one or two players... The players that have come in to, to sort of replace them. You go back a couple of seasons where we got to the, the FA Cup semi-final against Chelsea and, you know, we had a, a, a few players sort of, we had to rest, a few players missing. We got to all those semi-finals, you remember that season? And and the likes of Odie Nagalo coming in, just went up to it. Christian Eriksen, I wouldn't be disappointed if he started for Manchester United because he's a good player. So it'd be a good deal if we can get it done, but I'm not holding my breath because at the minute all United seems to be doing is, is trying to sign players but not actually doing anything. In terms of those players that kind of keep popping up as being linked or you're talking to as a club, are you somewhat happy that they're midfield players? Because, you know, you're quite desperate for a, a better engine room, really, aren't you? Considering what, you know, United need in terms of signings, the midfield seems to be one that all fans are unanimous, unanimously agreeing on. Yeah, 100%. I mean, the midfield's been an issue for a few years now. We brought in Donny van der Beek. It hasn't really worked out. Maybe Ten Hag can get a tune out of him because obviously he's worked with him at Ajax. But 
our midfield has been an issue. We haven't had an out-and-out defensive midfielder. I know Frankie Young isn't that guy, but he can play deep. We haven't had that type of player for a little while. We've used um, McFred, as everyone calls him, McTominay and Fred. Didn't, Fred did okay last season. McTominay, I think, had his worst season as a United player. And it just he's crying out for that. Our midfield, this, this so far this summer, has just been weakened because we've lost Paul Pogba. We've lost the man Matic, who was actually our only defensive midfielder. Okay, you you brought in Jim's guy, uh, Jimmy Garner back from loan, but we desperately, desperately need someone in the, in that midfield engine room, as you, as you mentioned, someone who can get hold of the ball in midfield and you know give it to a red shirt because we're just lacking that, and we keep putting these sort of square pegs in round holes, and it's just not working. It feels like just need someone to dictate the tempo of a game. You know, like what Rodri's done for Man City. He picks up the ball and he moves it about. I mean, even as Ian was saying, Calvin Phillips has been pretty important to Leeds in their resurgence back up to the Premier League and, and beyond. So it feels like maybe United do need someone who's able just to dictate the tempo of a game. Yeah, definitely. I mean, all successful teams have that. You know, yeah. actually, with fun of willing with Calvin Phillips. I think he poured water over that one. But, and I don't know how solid the interest is, but he could be going to City. It shows you the, the season he's having if they're looking at him. But, you know, we've been linked with Declan Rice. I think we've been priced out of that one. You do need that type of player. All successful teams have that type of player who can, you know, just get hold of it. And, you know, like you say, whether it's dictating the tempo or whether it's just turning, you know, defence into attack. Like, you know, we see it, we've seen it at Chelsea with Golo Kant. He's done it very well over the years. Fabinho at, at, at Liverpool. You mentioned Rodri. Um, at Manchester City, you know, he's slightly different, but that's you know that similar sort of role. All the successful teams have that. United haven't, and I think we've suffered because of it. Okay, well, Christian Eriksen linked with Manchester United. He is a free agent. Reports say that United are hopeful of signing him. We'll wait and see what happens. I don't think Ten Hag's actually signed anyone yet uh, since he's arrived as Manchester United manager. I think when other clubs are signing players as well, that tends to lead to a bit of impatience. But that will be interesting to see who actually walks through the doors of Old Trafford this summer. That will do us for Transfer Talk. And it will also be exciting if you're a Nottingham Forest fan this summer to see exactly how your team prepares for the Premier League. We'll be getting the lowdown from a Forest fan Rich from the 1865 podcast will be joining us next on Football Social Daily. Football Social Daily. Find more great sport at sport-social.co.uk. Step into the world of power, loyalty and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void were prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Welcome back to Football Social Daily, your daily Premier League podcast during the season and that season kicks off on the 6th of August and I'm sure it's a date in every Nottingham Forest fans calendar which has been circled in red pen, blue pen, black pen, any colour pen you can think of because it's been 23 years since Forest have been back in the top flight of English football. The first time in the promised land this century and I'm sure so many Forest fans are excited to see exactly how they get on and joining me to discuss exactly how and exactly what might happen over the next 12 months or so for Nottingham Forest is Rich Ferraro from the 1865 podcast. It's a Nottingham Forest show, part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. How are you doing, Rich? Yeah, I'm good. Um, it's been, it, it hasn't sunk in yet. Let me just get that out of the way. And, and <laughs> going back to what you said a second ago, definitely red pen, obviously red pen. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's a good job there's no white pen. Derby County colours <laughs> are not accepted around these parts. Um, you say it's not sunk in yet. What was last season like for you? Because at the start of the season, there were worries that you could get relegated to League One. And now we sit here 
10 months on and you're in the Premier League. It must have been a wild ride for you. Oh, definitely. Uh, look, being a Forest fan on the whole hasn't been much fun for the last 20 something years, 25 years, I'd say. Um, and last time we were in the Premier League, I think, was 1998. And that's, you know, without giving too much away, um, it's over half my life ago. <laughs> and, um, and, and so it's, it's uh, you use that phrase, wild ride. Well, most of it has just has been furious rather than wild. Um, and we've been down to League One. We've battled relegation from the championship on many occasions. We've had occasional glimpses of the promised land under Billy Davis about 10 years ago, under Sabri Lamushi a couple of years ago. But it's never felt like this. This is absolutely something that we've not experienced. The whole experience, whether you be a young fan or whether you be someone in middle age, if, we, if I describe myself in that way, or you're someone of my dad's vintage, no one's ever felt this way before. And you only have to look at the away end when the final whistle went at Wembley. If you've not seen any footage of it, then go on social media, just look up the limbs in the forest end because it's not like anything you've ever seen in this country before. It's probably a few tears in and amongst that. Um, you mentioned this feeling of what it's like being a, a forest fan at the moment. And maybe there's this sense of unity that hasn't been there for decades almost. How much of that is down to Steve Cooper and the job he's done? Because he's won so many plaudits. You went on an FA Cup run as well, which almost tends to be forgotten because of how you got promoted to the Premier League. How good of a job has he done? Uh, you can't put it into words. Um, I mentioned a couple of the managers previously who, who've kind of given us a glimpse of what it might be like to challenge for promotion. If we start with Sabri Lamushi, everyone loved Sabri. Everyone wanted him to do well. He seemed like an absolutely uh, wonderful guy, a real kind of gentleman as well. Um, but tactically, a bit limited. And, and we paid the price for that because he had a small squad post-Covid, we had injuries, we couldn't cope with the fixture congestion and everything. Under Billy Davis, he did a brilliant job of galvanising the team to play way beyond the sum of its parts. But he was, well, he was Billy Davis. So, you know, for, for every for every uh, every silver lining, there's always a cloud with him. And Cooper is exactly the opposite of all of that. There's, he's not put a foot wrong. The only thing that he's where he's been a little bit found out is that Sheffield United in the playoffs and Bournemouth in the match where we could have maybe put them out of contention for automatic. Those matches, tactically, they'd worked out what to do against us, but it took a whole season for teams to for good teams to work out how to do that. The other things that Cooper have do has done, he's made astute signings with the backing of the new chief executive. He's also got the fans on board. He. He's either the greatest confidence trickster of all time or he genuinely loves it on Trent's side. <laughs> well, I'm, I would be loving it on Trent's side as well if things were going as well for me, if I was Steve Cooper. I presume then it's a pretty obvious statement to make here, Rich, but is staying up and maintaining that Premier League status Steve Cooper's and the fans' aim for next season in the Premier League? That's priority number one. But what we've also seen in recent years, most notably with Brentford and Leeds, is that actually it's possible in your first season to be a surprise package, to overachieve, and and they're just the two most recent teams who've done that effectively. So I think that's what Forrest will, you know, yeah, priority number one is avoid relegation. Priority number two is see if you can actually do something which is beyond the expectations, and then you have a nice problem if you get to the second season syndrome. Um, but um, with Cooper's tactics and everything, he has played tactically and um, in terms of the style of play, in terms of the level of demand upon the players, it's it, it, there are some parallels with, with um, Leeds under Bielsa, actually. It's very physically demanding. Tactically, there's a particular way to play. I think Cooper's probably more flexible than Bielsa in terms of his tactical approach. Um, but again, another parallel is you've got players there who who just before Bielsa came in were being derided as not being good enough for Championship or League One and then have created careers as Premier League players and Forrester got a few players in there who like people are going, well, are they good enough? Can they do enough to get Forrest moving? And I'm looking at you, Ryan Yates, and it's an absolute joy that you are going to be playing for your hometown club in the Premier League. Yeah, I mean, well, let's talk about players then because obviously Jed Spence is a name that we've seen in the press and on the back pages when it comes to talks over a move and, you know, things have materialised as well. So uh, are there any concerns over losing some of your key players this summer and, and the possibility of replacing those before the, the, the campaign begins? Yeah, absolutely. So 
look, at the time that we're recording this, obviously, transfer rumours go into overdrive and there's some, it looks as though there's some moves to sign a centre-forward, to sign a centre-half. Um, we're probably not going to get Jed and we definitely need to sign um, a left-back as well. Now, so those are, those are kinds of problem positions. This all stems from the fact that we had four loanees making up our matchday squad for the second half of last season. We had five loanees in the first team squad um, overall. And naturally, as soon as you get to the Premier League, their parent clubs stick a few extra million on the price tag. And as much as I think that Jed was absolutely brilliant for Forrest and Keenan Davis was brilliant since January, you look at the alternatives that you can get compared to the prices that their parent clubs are asking for. Jed Spence, £20 million for someone who's not got Premier League experience, who has, I believe, got a year left on his contract at Middlesbrough for a right-back. You can understand why Forrest might need to look elsewhere. Um, also, let's, not, let's be fair, if Jed does get that transfer to Tottenham, you can't really stand in his way. Um, of going to a team who've probably got better prospects of going to Europe, playing under a manager like Conte. You know, you can't stand in players' ways either. Yeah, no, I think it's a really good point. I'll tell you what interests me, Rich, is whether the fans feel confident that Forrest will stay up next season. Do you take any confidence from that FA Cup run that you did go on, where you were edged out, I think, in the quarterfinals by Liverpool? You gave them a really good game. You absolutely demolished Leicester City. And of course, you beat Arsenal as well during that FA Cup run last season. So do you take any confidence from those performances that you might actually make a good fist of staying up and survival next season? Yeah, I think so. Um Look, we, we know that cup matches are just a snapshot. It's a one-off game. We know that uh, Arsenal played half a team. We know that Liverpool played half a team. Uh, Leicester obviously had a few in injury problems. So none of them were playing their full first-choice eleven. But we comprehensively you know, outplayed and beat Leicester. We were deservedly winners against Arsenal. We should have had something out of a Liverpool match on another day. If a couple of decisions had gone the other way, you never know, but that's one-off matches. I think the real trick with going to the Premier League is knowing you don't you don't go into matches thinking, well, we're going to lose it, but you have to be prepared as to what it's going to be like when you are getting more disappointing results than positive ones, because obviously psychologically that's that's that can be really damaging. Um, that can mean that that, that little extra yard of pace, that little spring in the step, the, the keeper coming out and claiming a catch rather than ending up uh, punching onto the head of the opposing striker. Those kinds of things can all go wrong. And that's that's the first few yards are in the head, aren't they? Rather than uh, in the boots. Rich, you're from the 1865 podcast, the Nottingham Forest show. So tell me about the podcast. How often are you posting episodes and how much are you looking forward to covering the club this season? Well, to answer your last question first, um, <laughs> it's it's it's, it's uh, amazing. Uh, I've, I'm struggling to think of the words, really. My brother and I first started podcasting way back in 2008 when Forrest got promoted from League One back into the Championship. And we weren't expecting it to take 14 years before, <laughs> before we're talking about <laughs> Forrest being in the Premier League. Um, we Our main thing is doing match reports. That's always been our bread and butter. So we will sit down after a match. We'll have a chat about what happened in the match, um, talk about the big moments. We'll get views from opposition fans where we can um, to get that really rounded view and so that people are getting a view that is you know fresh out the box but also expressing what it means to us as fans and and so again as an example it was a bit of a one-off but we did some live reporting from Wembley and I listened back to that and it it takes me back there it's, it, it's wonderful if, if this helps other fans to to relive, relive that experience then then so much better um, we also do a a monthly show as well which is a bit of a more considered review of what's been going on and we've got somebody who does like a comedy sketch in there we try and get views from uh, you know a wide range of people often have a bit of a quiz in there so so we we, we do quite a lot and um, as a guide as to how crazy last season was we recorded 78 podcasts during the course of the season um, so frankly I'm glad to have the summer off well if you're a Nottingham Forest fan and you don't know about the 1865 yet then you must have been living under a rock because it sounds like there's loads of great stuff going on over on the show don't forget you can follow the podcast it's part of the sports social podcast network by hitting subscribe that way you'll be notified as soon as a new episode is released you can not only find it on the network but also wherever you get your podcasts whether that be Spotify Apple 
iTunes or wherever else it may be. Rich, it's been an absolute pleasure. Great to speak to you and good luck for the new season. Thanks for having me and thanks for the wishes. Football Social Daily. Subscribe to the podcast now so you never miss an episode. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChampaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.